Um, you know, I, I, I taught a class in a uh, high school a couple of years ago, and uh, it was the greatest question I've ever received from anybody I've ever talked to. Oh, yeah? Was a kid asked me, what's the newest thing in employment law? And I thought for a second, and I, I pulled out my phone, I said, this is it. And they said, why? So because everything that goes on right now is, is memorialized. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you've done something good or bad, and you know, one of these kids started, well, that's illegal. I said, no, it's not. You're putting this in the public domain. And you know, if it comes down to, I've got two employees I'm tr or two candidates, I'm trying to figure out who I and want to hire. And they're both the same. Right. Apples, they're both, they both have almost identical experience, educational background, they're great. And then I start Googling them and on one of them, all I see is pictures of them throwing up in trash cans. And the other one I see working with big brothers and big sisters and the rescue puppies. Who am I gonna hire? Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. Hi, welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Dunlap. I'm here today with Phil Schwartz, not Dr. Phil Schwartz, but actual Phil Schwartz, attorney with Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig, and David Ludwig, also an attorney with Dunlap, Bennett, Ludwig. Phil is our principal guest today. Phil is an employment lawyer who represents employers only. He actually has said to me once, I once represented an employee once, and that was the last time he ever did that. So uh, absolutely, there's a place for that kind of law, but today we're here to talk about the employer side of things, how to deal with terminations, how what you need to know as an employer who employs people, uh, whether it's 1099s or employees, uh, all of these kinds of issues uh, we'll talk about today with Phil, our expert. Welcome, Phil and David. Thank you for joining as our resident lawyer slash Ed Sullivan today. <laughs> so Happy to be here to chuckle at your jokes. So um, such as, such as they are, or Phil's jokes, and, right. and the Schwartz is with you. Now my jokes are all today. good. So mine are horrible. Um, so do you know that, uh, photons have mass? Like, like photons, light particles have mass. I didn't even know they were Catholic, but apparently they have mass. So, well, uh, the first rule of employment laws, we don't make religious jokes. Okay. So, so, you know, hey. so now you can't fire me though. Cause I made it clear that I'm a photonist. Okay. Um, there you go. Uh, so Phil, uh, thanks for joining us today. I, I think the first thing that I, you and I were talking about before the show was, uh, the, biggest challenge for every employer ever, even at law firms. Um, how do you fire people? I think I said, how do you fire a, a development, developmentally disabled minority person with the certain religious preference? And it's nothing to do with any of those things. They just suck at their job, but you want to fire them. And every employer everywhere is like, oh my gosh, I can't fire them because X, Y, and Z. Not because they suck at their job, the reason they want to fire them. They can't fire them because they're worried about a status, a federal, federally protected status, a state protected status, whatever it is. Um, 
who are these people? How do I fire them? How do I how do I do that the right way? I guess the first thing you'd say is you do it carefully. Okay. Carefully. Um, think about what you're doing and don't just act, you know, but at the same token, don't be paralyzed. You know, you've got to run a business, so you've got to actually take action. Um, you know, what I like to say with most people is let's look at the situation, let's look at the individual. Let's try and figure out what, you know, from the individual, the worker's shoes, what could they be claiming if, if they were upset with the action? So we look back there. Um, you know, Virginia, like DC, Maryland, and most states is what's called an employment at will jurisdiction, which means you can fire anybody at any time for any reason, with or without cause, with or without advance notice, but you can't fire them if they're, or because of a protected reason. So you can't fire somebody because of their age their race, their religion, their national origin, their sexual orientation. But you can fire them despite that. Correct. So even if they were, you know, over 55 or whatever the age That's is. 40 is the is the 40. Gosh, 40, yes. I'm, I'm an old person. Now. I was excited when I finally I am, 40. Uh, I can't be fired because I'm too old now. Is that right? No, it's not right. If well, I 40 and over is the protection under federal age discrimination law. Okay. So I'm I'm federally protected, but if I'm bad at my job, you should not be paralyzed. You should be able to fire me and say, well, it's not because you're old, but you, you wouldn't, would you say that? No. You, okay. I, well, the first thing I always say is never give a reason why you fire anybody. Okay. The reason you're, Tom, we're letting you go today because we're going in a different direction. Things just aren't working different out. Different direction. David has a box ready to pack up your personal belongings. Thank you, Thank David. you. Yeah. That's the, that's the extent of the conversation. So you say ni nice things when you fire people it, always. Just very little. The yeah. more, you know, it's an uncomfortable conversation. So the longer you, or the more you expand on the conversation by getting into reason. The more you give them reasons. Well, the more you, you're, you're just giving them more to talk about. They're going to start arguing with the reason. I've made the decision to fire you. I don't really care if you say, you know, no, that reason didn't exist. So I said, Tom, we're firing you because we think you stole petty cash. But we shouldn't say that. No, because you're going to now say, but I didn't steal the petty cash. I, I can prove it was... David, who stole the petty cash. So I feel like employers really, if, if something like that happens, petty cash or bad performance or something, employers always want to tell their employees that. And that's the wrong thing to do. That's what you're saying, the it's, absolute it's, wrong it's, thing it's to do really in any the, circumstance. In, in almost any circumstance. Okay. Um, the right thing to do is to document that reasoning because that's the defense you have if the person turns around and says, well, they fired me because of my ex, my race, my religion, mm -hmm. whatever. So the answer then is no, you're an at-will employee. I don't need a reason to fire you. But if you want to say, I fired you because of your race, I can turn around and say, well, I've got documented proof that you were stealing the petty cash. So if, if you haven't done this documentation and the event happens, you don't have any backing, you don't have any history, is that a problem or can we still deal with that? Creates more of a problem. As I like okay. to tell clients, the documentation is really the defense. Right. You hope you never need the defense. It's kind of like going to a fight. You know, you hope you don't have to swing, you know, throw a punch. But if everyone's throwing a punch, you want to be able to pull out a gun. I don't want gotcha. this to be an even fight. Right. And Bring that a gun to the fist To fight. a knife fight. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the, the documentation is your defense. It's the bullets in the gun. And frequently, we spend a lot of time creating that documentation, and we never have to use it. And that's okay. And that's, it's better if you don't have to right. use it. That's exactly so, it. So another thing that I hear, so you said uh, employment at will. Mm -hmm. I hear that all the time, but uh, we'll hear from the other side, employees, well, it's a right to work state. I have a right to work. So, so tell me a little bit about what right to work is and what right to work we do or don't have for employees. So this You're right, firing me, Phil. I have a right to work. The right to work has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not you're going to stay employed here. 
Right. Right to work is very simple. Okay. It has to deal with a union security agreement. It really comes down to whether or not in Virginia you can be forced to join a, a labor union to have a job. So, for instance, we see you know the cashiers at the giant grocery store. Mm-hmm. They are they are union members, but they do not have to be a union member in Virginia. They have a right to work at Giant despite the fact that they're not a member of a union. Correct. That's what right to work. Correct. Is. In Maryland, contrasting that, or in D.C., you must join the union if you're going to work as a cashier in a Giant, because Giant has a collective bargaining agreement that covers all those workers. You must join it. It's the wow. union security agreement. I hear this all the time. Uh, and it drives me crazy. It has absolutely nothing to do with this. I actually saw this in a blog article not too long ago where it referred to, you know, this Virginia is a right to work and at will environment, so we can't fire. And it's like, in the same breath. In the same breath. <laughs> Was this a lawyer who wrote this? I don't want to get into who. Oh wrote my it. gosh, I feel like you should email them. You heard it here first, folks. Right to work has nothing to do with employment and termination, only unions. If you're not involved exactly. in a unionized sector of the world, it has nothing to do with you. So is there, so, is there any um, exception to the, the at-will employment doctrine where you can be sure. fired for no reason? Yeah. So what are the exceptions? So exceptions would be a contract. Well, one exception actually is a union agreement. And most union agreements have the right requirement that you can only fire somebody for cause. Okay. Um, if, for instance, I have an employment agreement or even an offer letter that says, Tom, we want to employ you in this position for a period of three years. Um, subject to termination for cause. We've now eliminated the at will. So you basically have just created a three-year employment contract, yep. a right to work, not right to work in capitals, but right to work no, in lowercase. You've created a guarantee of continued employment for a period of time that yeah. can only be terminated for cause. Um, so now we're all of a sudden looking at a, a situation um, where we've got to deal with this. now. So now frequently we're dealing with severance, Right. We're buying out the contract. It depends on whether they've got this three year agreement. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so, so so that's, so I, advice about making offers apropos or related to terminations. What, what would your advice be about how do you give an offer? What's the best way to give an offer? The best way to give an offer is is just a simple offer letter. Okay. Um, I'm not a fan of employment agreements. I think in, in most situations, there's no requirement for one. You know, if, if you're employing a physician and you've got, uh, HIPAA issues, you've got billing issues, third-party payer issues. Absolutely, you need to have um, assignments of those rights in an agreement to the employer to bill the you know, people. But you know, when you're hiring, for instance, just hiring a legal secretary or an associate at a law firm, an offer letter is all you need. So and the offer letter should just simply say, congratulations, we'd like to offer you a position of blank with this law firm. Your salary will be X or your hourly rate will be Y. You're required to be a member of the Virginia Bar, your whatever. These are your benefits. Um, and by the way, all em- employment with this law firm is at will. This means that either you or the employer can terminate this relationship at any time without cause, without advance notice. So you, so you do that in every case. Now, a little bit of devil's advocate here. So say it's the position of an associate at a law firm mm-hmm. or a, a software developer or mm-hmm. anybody who creates intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Uh, my common wisdom might be that you might want an assignment of the intellectual property in the in some kind of agreement that yep. they have to countersign. But that would be essentially tantamount to an employment agreement or a separate agreement well, or how, what would you suggest? So what I do in, in my employment in uh-huh. agreement is, you know, or my offer letter rather, you know, it says, you know, that we're offering this position, it's at will, and it is subject to the policies and procedures of the employer. Gotcha. So now subject to the employment manual. 
And I usually say currently in issue or currently issued and as maybe supplemented or modified in the future. And in certain circumstances, I'll also say, and employment is also contingent upon your execution of what I call an agreement on contingents of employment that addresses ownership of intellectual property, um, confidentiality, non-solicitation of customers. But I also still state in that agreement, you're still an at-will employee. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that makes sense. So So reiterate at-will and everything. So I put it in at least three places. It goes in your offer letter. Okay. It goes in your, if you have an application for employment, says if employed, you're an at-will employee. Oh, interesting. Okay. Again, the same thing. And then I put it in the policy manual. So just to summarize, offer letter or application, offer letter, and policy manual. At-will, at-will, at-will. So, And then if we go into a non-compete type agreement, we go again in there, at-will. Okay. So another question, so taking a species of this where we might want a contract, say we're employing somebody as a contractor, mm-hmm. as a 1099 independent contractor. I know a lot of businesses are confused about this. Um, a lot of businesses, in fact, I even know of a law firm, employ their employees full-time as 1099s. Can you do this? Well, they can have no other job. They work for only this company. Their name is in the company, but they're independent contractors. Yeah. So, okay. so, so companies do this though. So A, why can't we do it? And B, what are the consequences? Well, so the first question is, well, you know, somebody else does it. Well, my answer there is they just haven't been caught yet. Okay. Okay. So. And caught by who? Uh, well, they could be different agencies. So we've okay. got the, the federal and state tax people. Mm-hmm. You've got the state workers comp people are interested. The state unemployment uh, commissioner in Virginia, the Virginia Employment Commission are all interested. Okay. Um, it's all for, you know. Three of them, it's a tax grab. The fourth one, it's you know people uh, who are 1099s aren't covered by workers' comp. So there's insurance. four state actually, or federal agencies and, that and are looking. And there's a fifth and a sixth. Oh. There is the Depart- U.S. Department of Labor and the State Department of Labor because 1099 contractors are not subject to the overtime laws. Oh, interesting. Okay, so they're all looking at you for avoiding overtime laws, avoiding taxes, and avoiding reporting requirements, wage and, wor- and hour, workers' comp. Workers' comp. Somebody gets hurt. So, you know, frequently- 1099s aren't covered by comp. No. Yeah. You know, so the, the, the quickest way we see those kinds of claims deal with either uh, an unemployment claim or yeah. a workers' comp claim. Interesting. And, and that's when the employer gets dinged badly. Worse usually with the unemployment people than the comp people. Okay. Because the unemployment folks will come and audit your entire payroll, um, both employee and 1099 contractor. Um, and you referred to something as 1099 employees or employee 1099. We like to say engage them. We try and distinguish between employees. Don't and employ them. Engage them. Engage them. them. Right. Contract they're not them. employees. They're workers. Right. Um, it's subtle, but you know, if you're making this argument, you want everything you have and you're, sure. you know, to back you up. So what, what kind of consequences? Say they come in an audit and it turns out four of your 10 employees are 1099s and they're full-time essentially employees. So we're gonna have the, the first thing we're going to see is an audit from the Virginia Employment Commission probably. Okay. Um, they'll go back three years and they'll go and hit you for penalties and interest going back three years for all your people. If you only have four, it's not so bad. When you have 100 right. and penalties and interest, I mean, this thing- Have you seen this happen before? I have. Okay. So they, people do get caught. Oh, absolutely. I actually- 15 years ago, I had an independent contractor case um, all ready to go to the Virginia Supreme Court. Wow. And the week before, the state kind of caved on a kind of mutual agreement that we would change our practices going forward, but they would not ding us or find us going backwards. Um, (laughs) The reason for that was it was a pretty esoteric area, Mm -hmm. but the state was enforcing people and they were pushing people. 
I just happened to have a client who was prepared to fight this. Wow. The state was unwilling to take the chance of an adverse ruling against them because then they couldn't go and continue. But to that's not a good way to employ people. That's, it's not safe to bet that you're going to end up spending tens of thousands no, with, no. with Phil Schwartz, hundreds of thousands, because you're an amazing lawyer, on, on true litigation. So, so those are, so summary of that issue is you have to employ your employees. You engage your 1099s. So what's the difference between a 1099 employee? How do you, how do you distinguish those two as a company? So, so the first thing I, I do to clients, I say, well, tell me what this person does. What does he do for you? Mm -hmm. And how do you control him? So there's two different tests. There are three different. There's a 20-point IRS uh, revenue ruling that came out, I think, in 1986. It's a balancing okay. act. You look at these 20 things, and it really kind of comes down to scope of control. Okay. That's the oldest test there is, and the IRS still looks at that. Now some of the states are using what's called an ABC test. Okay, what's and that? And the B factor in that is ba it basically it's, it's three things, and the B factor is the important one. Could this company be in business without these people? So, oh. for instance, if you're a law firm, okay, and you want to, and under the B factor, yeah. could a law firm be in business without lawyers who are right. not attendant? The answer is no. Yeah. So could they be? All your lawyers are 1099s. Absolutely. Yeah. What if now, what if the owning partner is not, and he has two partners that are an associate that doesn't, is? Doesn't matter. So they couldn't be in business. No, they, no that's an integral function. The lawyer is an integral function. Yeah. Could you have a secretary? No, I need secretaries. But now, could I have a bookkeeper who maybe comes in one day a week? Or a partial paralegal. Right. Two day a week. Well, paralegal. paralegal, no, because they're taking direct guidance from a lawyer. I see. Okay. But a bookkeeper who's coming in and say, here's the stack of bills, pay them. Yeah. Here's a stack of checks, record them. What about an IT person? Same, same thing. But you're doing like offsite coding at a client site and you're billing them out as a 1099 and the client's paying 110 and you're billing the client at 150 an hour and you're taking the difference and push, putting 10 employees at that client site to code. Cisco or whatever, some kind of software. So are they employees? So this is kind of like a staff augmentation situation. Yeah, yeah. Now, are they employees of anybody or are they, you know, so client A mm -hmm. engages you, B, to, to bring in three programmers. Right, correct. Are the three programmers, are they employees of yours or are they contractors of yours? Well, I'd like to make them contractors of mine, so you don't have to give them health care. Yeah, but that's your business, though. That comes back to this. How am I, you know, I'm in business providing these employees. If I do nothing else, then it's a problem. But if I have a main business and I just do a small project, then maybe I could do it? It's harder. Okay. I mean, you know. So it's case by case. It's, it's case really by fact, case. I mean, you know, fact intensive you know, inquiry. People say, well, you know, how come, you know, so I need a temporary receptionist. Right. Well, that receptionist is a 1099. I call up, you know, Somebody temps, you know, temps are us and they send me over, you know, yeah, a receptionist. Course. But that receptionist is an employee of temps are us. Correct. And okay. temps are us is in the Doing business. Doing the withholding. And, and yeah. temps are us is in the business of providing temporary What if staff. I hire that temporary receptionist off of Craigslist and they're an employee of no one and I just need them for three months because somebody's she's not a material. She's an employee. Even for those three months? Absolutely. Wow. So you can't hire your own temp no. because they're not an employee of anyone. Nope. I did not know that. And that's. And I'm a lawyer, so that's probably not. I don't do that law, so that's good. That's why I have people like you who do that I mean, law. You know, one of the, the, the biggest wow. cases on, on 1099 contracts is the Microsoft case. Okay. And it went to the Supreme Court. And, you know, it all had to do with the fact that Microsoft had these people that were working for them for years and years and years. Wow. And that this is the only job they ever had. And, you know, I might be the employee and David's a contractor. And the only difference is I think the color of the badge I have, oh, 
And David can't participate in any of the benefit programs. Healthcare, 401k. Stock purchase plan. Stock purchase plan. Oh, I could see that. Microsoft has has been killing it Mm -hmm. um, in the world of stock. Especially you know, in the last and, couple of years. Right. You know, and you know, one of the, you know, you, you do this, you'll know, invalidate all these tax advantageous plans. Yeah. If they feel that's where the IRS can come in and really hammer Wow. Because, you know, that plan says you have to provide all employees with the right to participate. You've misclassified a group, a large group of people as not being eligible to participate. So what about uh, employee handbooks? Do we need them or do we not need them? We need them. Everybody needs them? Like what's the threshold and where do you, where do you get an employee handbook? So, you know, a lot of places you can get them. I mean, if you're just looking for something off the shelf, mm-hmm. if you're using paychecks or ADP, they'll give you one. Okay. Um, the problem is they don't do a lot of great work customizing them. Right. I think one of the other problems with the ADP, it's an incredible, or the paychecks handbook, it's incredibly thorough. It's also 70 pages long. Right. So it's not practically useful. Exactly. I mean, you know, when I issue or, or put together a handbook, I actually want the employees to read it. Yeah. You know, so I'll take the policy out on how to requisition a new desk. Um, we'll deal with that on a case-by-case basis. Right. Instead of you having know. it in, a, in yeah. a manual. Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of benefits of the manual. The first is, from a discrimination standpoint, it allows everybody to be treated the same way. Right. You know, I walk into your office, you're the owner, I say, how much vacation I get? And you look up and say, eh, three weeks. Next guy walks in, happens to be a, a woman. How much vacation do I get? Two weeks. Well, we just created a problem. Then David comes in and he gets a day. He's like, what? Yeah, but look at David. He's under 40. He's a white male. He's got no protection. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I can get away with discrimination. Exactly, exactly. But but he is a flaming Democrat, so I feel like we could probably discriminate. (laughs) In Virginia- It's not protected. In D.C. it is. In D.C., political affiliation is. Is it protected? Oh, just in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. But in Virginia, it's not. Virginia, it's not. You can get away with anything in Virginia. But I I think there's like five or six other states that protect political affiliation. But in Virginia, you could fire somebody for being a Democrat. Yes. But in D.C., you could not. You Wow. So that means incorporate in Virginia. That's the advice Well, it actually, yeah, it really depends where the person works. So you could be a Virginia corporation, but if you've got a D.C. office- yeah. DC law applies. Right. That's true. We, we, we've seen that with um, foreign embassies, I think, mm-hmm. who wanted their, their own country's law to apply to their embassy, but it's DC law. They're employing which people. Is a in challenging that. law. So, jurisdictions what, like to protect their residents and their employees. Yeah. And they like to own and protect their own people. Thank you to our sponsor today, Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig solves complex business problems with smart solutions acting as advocates and advisors to their clients with diverse professional backgrounds from MBAs to PhDs to bankers to military officers, real-world experience for real-world problems. Dunlap, Bennett, and Ludwig doing better law. To find out more, visit www.dblawyers.com. What are the, the top three? Well, David, so, so if you were, as an employer, what questions do you have for Phil that I haven't thought of today? What are the what are the burning questions that we have like a pro here? I've learned like right. five new things and I've been involved in running companies for 20 right. years and as and I'm a lawyer, I'm sort of shocked. Well, I think the thing that's on everybody's mind right now is like the whole Me Too movement, right? What should an employer do if you hear about there being a complaint of sexual harassment or some inappropriate kind of workplace conduct? What should I just put my head in? La, or la, la, or la, do la, you la. put it on Twitter, blog right. about yeah. it? Exactly. <laughs> probably. That, that's probably the worst thing to do is put your head in the sand and right. blog about it. Um, you know, 
probably the second worst thing to do would be for the employer just to go start looking into it him or herself. Okay. It's yeah. really, I mean, I hate, I am, I am one of these guys, lawyers who likes to try and push people to do some of their own stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, just create billing machine after machine. But investigating a sexual harassment type claim shouldn't be done by the employer. It's really where so you who can. Who does the employer get to investigate it? Law firms. Law firms. Okay. Yeah, I mean, when, and you know, how do you, you investigate a sexual harassment? Oh, I've just finished investigating one, you know, last week, and literally, I'd start with the complaining witness mm-hmm. and talk to that person. Um, you know, real importantly, when you do that, though, is you have to set it up that first of all, explaining that participating in this investigation, you are protected against retaliation. And retaliation is actually a separate actionable offense. So, you know, it could turn out that the claim of sexual harassment is unfounded, but then the maybe a witness or the complaining party um, is discriminated against because they made the claim. Right. That in and of itself could create its own claim. Is that claim. protected by federal law? Yes, federal okay. law. Retaliation. So. And you can't retaliate against anybody who in good faith brings a claim of any type of discrimination or participates in an investigation of any type of discrimination. The key is they have to participate in good faith. doesn't mean they have to be accurate. It has right. to be actionable. It just, they can't decide, well, we're going to get together, three of us, and we're going to gang up on Tom here and file a charge against him. Okay. That's totally unfounded. But if, you know, I think, you know, you touched me or told me a couple of bad jokes in a wrong way, and I bring a claim and we decided, well, it really wasn't, didn't arise to the level of, of actionable harassment. You're protected in that you can't be you know, retaliated against, but we may find that there's no real cause or claim of discrimination. Like this, this thing I just heard uh, on, on the radio about a politician kissed the back of the head of somebody. Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden yeah. kissed the back mm-hmm. of the head of somebody. Is that an actionable claim? Because well, I was kind of, I mean, I don't think it's normal. Yeah. I think well, it's first, a little weird, but Okay, so you gotta, seem... in the context that happened, no, because there's no employer-employee relationship. Okay, so she wasn't a staffer. Correct. No, you know. She it, was a campaign. I One, he was campaigning or for one woman. Another was uh, Ash Carter's wife while he was being sworn in as Secretary of Defense. Okay. Um, so there, were no empl- there was no employment relationship. Gotcha. Um, other thing to remember, in the 1099 issue... A 1099 contractor has no claim of discrimination under any. Yeah. Um, so that's frequently another place we see that, you know. Where they're found out. Well, the contractor will bring a claim of discrimination. The, def- the immediate defense is there's no employment relationship. So now we're arguing over the, in that forum whether or not there's an employer-employee relationship. So, Phil, what is your, your at least your top best um, anecdotal employment story for the last Say the last 10 years, what's the most hilarious but anecdotally instructive employment story? Putting you a little bit on the spot, but I, I want to hear, you would like to hear something funny. I'll take this a little bit uh, you can into, into, into the adult yeah. context. Change go, the name to adult, protect Can, we, can we go adult context here? Okay. Yeah, and use code names. Okay, <laughs> yeah, no names, never any names. So I, I represented a, Bill, uh, John, a, a company that had a general sales manager that used to walk around the, it was like a cubicle area where people were making sales calls. Mm-hmm. And he had about a, I don't know, foot long sex toy that he used to walk around in his hand, slapping in his hand like this as he was talking to his female employee. You know, and he also, uh, they claimed this is, so I get this charge of discrimination. He said that he walked around with- How is that discriminating? Well, sexual, oh, it was just sexual, it was just sexual harassment. Okay, right. harassment. Um, which is a charge of discrimination. Yeah, I don't think it's ESA. good. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> and uh, so he's, you know, the, the, the charge of discrimination says that he's walking around with a 14-inch dildo in his hand, banging it into his hand as he's talking to people. 
and that he shows naked pictures of himself and his girlfriend in a hot tub to his employees. And I read this and I'm thinking, okay, if there's ever a charge that is not made in good faith, this is crazy. Yeah, can't happen. Can't happen. I mean, this is. Why, why would I mean, this do is this nineteen. Honor. This is like nineteen ninety-eight. I mean, this is not like nineteen. Why would anybody show right. pictures of themselves? Correct. So I, I bring them in, Wait, and I, I've, I've heard that before. What'd you say? <laughs> I said to their employees. Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, I start my investigation to respond to this charge of discrimination, and I've got the employee, and I've got the owner of the company, and I say to him, Joe, actually is his real name. Why would these people make these crazy allegations about you? And his response is, well, it's all true, but I never asked any of them out on a date. <laughs> Did you ever get to see the dildo? No. 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 So, so I, I, I kind of. I, so I what did I you do enough. when he said it's all true? Well, I, I, like, I you got him out fired? of the room and I, and I talked to the owner of the company. I said, you got to fire this guy, <laughs> you know, and you've got to go back and we've got to respond to this that, you know, we had no idea this was going on. We have a policy that prohibits sexual harassment. It's got a complaint mechanism in that policy. Um, the, the aggrieved party never availed themselves of the complaint mechanism. When the, we came to our attention through the charge, we investigated, we took prompt action, we fired this guy. The owner of the company says, we can't fire this guy. I've never had a sales manager this good. Is it, what, did the dildo make him better? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying. I, you know, I'm maybe, not, maybe, that, maybe that was what, you know, was kind of made people make phone calls. Right? Yeah, I mean, got them working. Uh, got so it, yeah, it got them. their attention. I, I would be <laughs> terrified. I mean, um, I know, God. So, <laughs> you know, my phone. next response was, well, how much do you pay this guy a year? And the owner of the company said he was like 105000 bucks a year. I said, well, I think that's going to be our opening offer to resolve this claim. Yeah. And uh, Did they let him go? No, they never let him go. Wow. We re-educated did, did him. They, did they <laughs> add into their employee handbook no 14-inch dildos? Well, we had a, a long discussion. Less? You know, He was one of these guys that didn't recognize that there's different forms of sexual harassment. <laughs> He thought the only kind of sexual harassment that exists asking somebody on a date is yes, uh, or actually is, is the, quid, the, the quid pro quo. Right, you you do this for me, and I'll do something Get for a you. Right, exactly. Okay. I'm totally unfamiliar with a hostile work environment situation, right. so we did a lot of education. Wow. So so you likened that a little bit to the kiss on the back of the head thing, where it was like. It was harassment, but it wasn't like you're, I'm doing well, something for you to get something. Right. So, so on the, the hostile environment, mm -hmm. okay, so that, the definition is something like creates a uh, hostile, intimidating work environment on the basis of a protected classification. So it could be you know, hostile racial environment. You've got nooses hanging around a workplace. That would be bad. Which we've seen. Yeah. You've seen that? Uh, it's been in the news in the last couple of weeks. There have been a couple of them. Um, Where? What state? What what? In the U.S.? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 It's still, it, I mean, it's- I so, I'm continually so shocked by human beings. Yes, indeed. Um, but, you know, it comes down to, it has to be pervasive and unwelcome conduct. So, you know, a simple bad joke or okay. off-color joke, joke of a sexual nature, whatever, is- Not pervasive. Not pervasive. Michael Correct. Scott on The Office, pervasive? Mm, maybe. Maybe. Okay, but sort maybe, but you know, but if we take the Sports Illustrated swimsuit calendar mm -hmm. and we start hanging photos all over the office, it becomes more pervasive. Um, you know, I I kind of say that you know, inappropriate statements. You need. What to if have... they're in the? So just, just I'm actually really mm -hmm. curious. What if the Sports Illustrated swimsuit calendar is in your office? In I don't have this, but in your internal office, 
just for you. You're not putting it around other people's offices, but people come into your office. That's a problem. That's pervasive. Sure. I mean, I can, I see Every, why. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's you know, tasteless. Yeah. I mean, certainly. But it's yes, an employment problem it, as well. It's an employment okay. problem. You know, if you, you know, if you keep the, the swimsuit calendar in your desk and you only take it out of your desk drawer when you're alone in your office and you're, you know, going like this with the picture, because that's, you're that's okay. Discriminating women, right? That would be a gender thing. Yeah. Now, what about, so, so just. And I had a claim with the, you remember the Miss Rigid Tool Girl calendar? Mm mm. Uh, do you yeah. rigid tools? I know what rigid tools are. Okay, you know, so you, know, you know got the, the woman with a, you know, a pipe wrench that's about this tall across her body, you know, standing in a way that she's wearing nothing but covered up with a pipe wrench. And you had that in your yes, office? Yes, not in my office. I had oh. a client that had oh, that problem. Oh, in your client. It, and, and interestingly, it was a mechanic shop and it was, nobody really cared until they got their first female mechanic. Oh, and then she mentioned it. Mm -hmm. So question about that. If I have a, a, a photograph in my, or a, a picture in my office of, I think I do, of a, a two guys shooting guns from my old military unit in a mm -hmm. deployed zone and somebody's against the idea of violence and that's in my office, is that discriminating no, against- No, there's no protected class. So you have to have a protected class at base and you have Correct. to say, uh, if, if I have in my office, now what if, if- a, uh, a homosexual person has a rainbow flag in their office. They're the protected class, but it offends a non-homosexual person. Is there the reverse? There can be. Can so that first happen? Of all, in Virginia, saying, in Virginia sexual orientation isn't protected state level, okay. at the state level. Because it's not protected federally, uh, sexual orientation, correct? No, it's only, well... It's protected state by state? It's protected, uh, I think, by executive order of government contractors. Okay. But outside of that realm in the private commercial space. No, in DC, sexual orientation on the state level is protected. Right. DC, California, I New think York, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. yeah. Not Virginia. Not Virginia. Uh, Virginia passed an executive order. I think Terry McAuliffe passed it and somebody knocked it out. Uh, so, so in Virginia. Before McAuliffe. Okay. I think Bob McDonald knocked it out. Okay. Right. So um, what would your advice be? Uh, what, what are the top three things today, takeaways for employers? that you have, you have one minute with an employer and you have to say, here are the top three things you need to know as an employer. Top three things, I'd say get an offer letter, get a good offer letter. Okay. Um, actually, one thing we didn't talk about, make sure with your employees, you fill out and complete I-9s or go through the E-Verify process. Okay. That is a real hot topic right now. Isn't that now. mandatory? It is mandatory. But, but people don't do you'd it. You'd be amazed at how many people don't do it. Okay. You'd be amazed, you know, Government contractors are required to do it. I think if they've got a contract over five thousand dollars, yeah, yeah, you'd be amazed at how many government contractors, small ones, don't do it. Really? Yeah. Um, after that, get an employment manual and have somebody review it. Okay. So due diligence, I nines, uh, offer letters, and an employment manual. Those are the three things that will protect you. Yeah. On the front end. And another thing I do before hiring somebody, Google his or her name. Yeah, yeah that out. seems like <laughs> Google seems like a shockingly good tool. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, for that they call it the for, Google for a reason. Yeah, um, you know, I, I I taught a class in a uh, high school a couple of years ago, and uh, it was the greatest question I've ever received from anybody I've ever taught to. Oh, yeah? Was a kid asked me, "What's the newest thing in employment law?" And I thought for a second, and I I pulled out my phone. I said, "This is it," and they said, "Why?" So because everything that goes on right now is is memorialized. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you've done something good or bad. And, you know, one of these kids started, well, that's illegal. And I said, no, it's not. You're putting this in the public domain. And, you know, if it comes down to I've got two employees I'm or two candidates, I'm trying to figure out who I want to And they're both hire. the same. Right. Apples, they're both, apples. They both have almost identical experience, educational background. They're great. 
And then I start Googling them. And on one of them, all I see is pictures of them throwing up in trash cans. And the other one I see working with big brothers and big sisters and the rescue puppies. Who am I going to hire? Yeah. Not, the, the drunk, obviously. Yeah, because they're know, a lot more fun. Exactly. Yeah, the other exactly. person's boring. No, but, you know, <laughs> but it's amazing what you'll find out about people. Yeah, right. Um, you know, you might, you might find out that they've got some political views that maybe you don't want associated with. Right. You know, finding out, oh, look at this. This person loves to march around, you know, on Saturdays. In white pajamas. Exactly. Right. Awkward. Right? Ex yeah. Um, so. So, you know, you just might want to find out the, about those things. So I think Google is a really, so really important thing. Reordering then, Google the person first. Google first. Then send them a good offer oh, letter God, right. and do their I-9 and have a good employment manual, manual on the back end. Yep. So those are, those are our big takeaways for today. David, you have anything for the good of the cause? No, that was really helpful. Phil, I've been educated, actually, terrifyingly. Good thing is I don't <laughs> run the employment at where we work, so... That's good, but it's good to know this stuff for sure. Um, thank you for sharing this with our listeners, and hopefully you'll share this with your, uh, your clients as well. Um, thank you for joining us on the Black Letter Podcast. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com. 